Are you ready? Ready to take a ride? Grab your coffee and strap yourself in. Because the show is about to begin. From the front lines of America Babylon and transmitting worldwide on the internet and satellite, you are listening to Omega Man Radio Network with Shannon Davis. Hey everybody and welcome. We're just getting set up over here. Coming up next, uh, we're going to kick off this marathon with Elias Antonis. Hope you enjoyed the late program we did. If you were not aware we did one, we did do a special one-time show this month in the evening. It was uh, 11 p.m. Eastern with Bart Sabrell. It's pretty awesome. Great interview. Go check it out. I've already got it in the archives for you. Hope you enjoy it. Okay. Well, we have a great marathon for you. We're going to have Elias Antonis and later on Deborah Vells. Carl Henderson and Bill Keller. Great stuff tonight. And let's go ahead and get started. You ready? Let me go and dial. Here we go. Well, praise the Lord and good morning to you, Brother Elias. Good morning. God bless you. How you doing over there, my friend? I'm doing good, thank you. A little tired from doing some housework outside yesterday in the hot sun, but I'm feeling good this morning. <laughs> All right. Well, folks, uh, welcome, and uh, we're excited to be here today. We're on a new schedule, by the way, for those who haven't been in here in a while. We're on now Monday through Friday in the mornings, and uh, we're excited to be here with Evangelist Elias Antonis. Brother Elias, would you like to open us in prayer? Yes. Father, thank you for this uh, this time, this episode, and we pray for the moving of your Holy Spirit to touch the ears and hearts of the listeners, to grasp what they need to learn from you, to finish their particular ministries uh, with the limited time that's left. So let your anointing be with us all. And guide us by your Holy Spirit to glorify the Father in Jesus' name. Amen. I say amen to that. And my friend, thank you for willing, being willing to come on this morning. With that, uh, the mic is yours. Take it away, my friend. Well, thank you. Well, God bless everybody. Uh, I want to teach about the foundation of the gift of speaking in tongues. And I'm going to teach it probably in a way you haven't heard before. Um, So, what I'd like to do is really demonstrate the true importance of speaking in tongues. There's so many sayings like, oh, it's the least of the gifts and all of that. And people who say these things, um, either they haven't really spent the time in God's scriptures to find out the value of it. So, I believe in, in the great value of speaking in tongues. So, let's get on with it. And I'm going to start with the very popular scripture in Acts. 
And I'll start with chapter 2. And um, it says, verse 1, When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. Suddenly there came a sound from heaven. Uh, that's important. This came from heaven. A noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. There appeared to them tongues as of fire, distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. One thing I'd like to say is Jesus said his most important words before his death when he had communion with his disciples. And um, usually people want to say the most important things that's on their heart before they die. And then he ascended. Now, it's interesting that the Holy Spirit comes and you would think that God would want to say the most important things on the coming of the Holy Spirit or show or demonstrate the most important things. Um, and it's interesting with the manifestation of the Holy Spirit, the, the first thing was the speaking in tongues, the gift of tongues, and, of course, being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, in verse 6, well, let me, let me just say verse 5, because verse 5 is really key to what I'm talking about today. It says, now there were Jews living in Jerusalem. There were devout men from every nation under heaven. Now, just put that, put that uh, in your pocket for now and, and just treasure that. Every nation was represented there at that time. Verse 6, the sound occurred, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because they were hearing them speak in their own dialect and language. They were amazed and marveled, and they said, gosh, <laughs> you know, all these people are Galileans. And how is it, in verse 8, that we hear them in our own language, uh, or even dialect, uh, to which we were born? So this is obviously a supernatural occurrence where these Jews who were um, in the upper room began to speak languages without having studied. Uh, they didn't go to school to do this, but this was a, a, an instant supernatural impartation. And uh, verses 9 and 10, it relates to uh, the, some of the different nations there, and verse 11 goes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them in our own tongues, speaking of the mighty deeds of God. Now, I'd, I'd like to stop here for a second, because a, a lot of people are limited, I believe, in their view in verse 11, and they, they, they think, well, this is tongues. If you speak in tongues, it has to be uh, an earthly language that someone, if they were possibly there from that dialect, they would hear it. But I don't believe that's so. Uh, 
I would say according to the scripture in the Apostle Paul, because he says in um, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1, he says there's uh, basically two kinds of tongues. There's tongues of men and tongues of angels. So there's a very great probability, I have no trouble believing that they did not only speak in earthly tongues, but they probably also spoke in tongues of angels, angels as well. Uh, now, verse 12, here's a question that they had. They continued in amazement and great perplexity, saying to one another, what does this mean? Now, that question there, if it's answered properly, you would understand the value of tongues. Now, so I'm going to talk about the, the foundation for tongues rather than what tongues actually accomplishes, because that's a, a separate teaching that's also very valuable. But here's the question. What could this mean? Everything that was happening, the tongues, the sound from heaven, what does all of this mean? All right. Let me just lay some foundation here. Most people would say that if you ask them, oh, what's the reason for all the chaos and corruption in the world? I think the average person or Christian would say, Oh, well, it's because of the fall. Adam and Eve sinned, they messed up, and all the garbage came in. Um, I would like to offer a more uh, complete answer to that. Because I don't believe it, it's just the uh, fall of uh, Adam and Eve. First, we had the rebellion of Lucifer. By the way, if you study Ezekiel chapter 28, you'll find out there that Lucifer, his, he was still Lucifer in the Garden of Eden, and you, if you also study that carefully, you'll, you'll find uh, that Eden was actually in a mountain. And uh, there are some very interesting inferences there that when Lucifer said, I, I will ascend above the clouds, that he most likely said that um, from the mountain that's, that's a, a cosmic mountain in, uh, in the earth. And so what he wanted to do is he wanted to send above the earthly clouds, go to heaven, and uh, become like God. Uh, another interesting thing is that God said about Lucifer, he said, in the day that I created you, which is also interesting that it's very possible that he created Lucifer um, in the earth. Uh, because there's no time in heaven that we know of. Uh, like there's no day in heaven that's mentioned. Day was started in Genesis 1 where God said, let there be light. And you'll find in a few verses in Genesis 1 where he first calls... Um, the, the light and the, the, the darkness, and the, he calls it a day. So the day began 
down here. Those are interesting. So we have the fall of Lucifer. Then you have the rebellion in the Garden of Eden, where Adam and Eve ate of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil that they shouldn't have done. Then in Genesis 6, a very interesting topic where there were angels, uh, most likely, um, I don't know if they were located in the second heaven, but uh, they were called the sons of God, and studying the classical Hebrew and Greek for that, it speaks of the angels of God and how uh, Genesis 6, you'll see the angels came, cohabited with women, they took wives, which uh, is a pretty strong implication that they were uh, a little more demanding about it and didn't require the uh, the cooperation of the women as much. So these angels came down, They and there's so much that can be said there, but I need to stick to my topic and be careful of rabbit trails. So these angels, they came down, and the proliferation of the sin which started in the garden, um, it, it just got worse and worse, and it was so bad in Genesis chapter 6. Uh, by the way, I'd like to throw another interesting point for, for people to think about. Um, the garden, we, we, all, we always say the garden of Eden, and, and in a sense we want to say, well, Eden is the garden. But it could be that God called the whole world Eden, and he made this first garden and planted it, and therefore it was a special garden of the world Eden. Um, it's, that's just something worth to consider. Now, after this rebellion in, in Genesis 6, God is really saddened the proliferation of evil in the world, I mean, you have the the Adamic line sinning. You've got these angels coming down. There's there's violence. There's all sorts of immorality, and God uh, decides to uh, send a flood. And you know the story. It's called Noah's flood, and that happens in Genesis six. And it only takes five more chapters for the rebellion at the Tower of Babel, or Babel. And what we see there is a first world government where there's a, uh, a person named Nimrod, and he becomes the uh, dictator of the world at that time. And they, uh, at least the majority of them, gather at... Um, a place called Shinar, which is literally uh, Iraq, and uh, where Babylon was. And it happened at uh, the area of uh, Mount Hermon. So, um, this was a rebellion uh, for a number of reasons. Well, God gave a command to Adam and Eve to replenish the earth, um, then after, uh, we'll get into it a little more, but then he told Noah, okay, we're starting again with you, Noah, replenish and fill the earth. 
Well, we find at the Tower of Babel, they rebelled against that. And they wanted to gather at Shinar, build a tower and make a name for themselves. Um, which kind of makes me think of the revival in the Jerusalem church in Acts chapter 2. After this outpouring that we uh, started with, we read about, you know, there was a great revival and a great big church in, in Jerusalem. And if you study the commands that the Lord gave his apostles before he left, he, t he told them to go into all the world and preach. Now, you know, there could be some arguments about this, but in my mind, it's almost like they disobeyed that. They, they kind of stayed in Jerusalem and nurtured this big revival, and the apostle Paul and only a handful of them went out actually to the Gentiles, going into all the world. And I, I kind of think that God permitted the perse persecution that came in Acts chapter 2 because they weren't really fully obeying God's, Jesus' command to go into all the world. So anyway, that's worth uh, considering and thinking about. So now, why is the world in such a chaos? I would say it's because of all these uh, rebellions that I mentioned. Rebellion of Lucifer, the Garden of Eden, the uh, angels that came down in Genesis 6, and also the rebellion at Babel. Uh, let me read to you a very powerful verse, Galatians chapter 3, verse 19, where the Apostle Paul is explaining why the law of Moses was actually added and given. He says, Galatians 3.19, Why the law then? It was added because of transgressions. It's very interesting that that's in the plural. Having been ordained through angels by the agency of a mediator until the seed should come to whom the promise had been made. Now, most of us who are seasoned Christians would understand that that, that final uh, manifestation of that seed would be uh, Jesus Christ, uh, the Anointed One, the Savior, and the Messiah. So, um, what happened at Genesis 11? Because we're going to see here a foundation for the the power of speaking in tongues. Noah uh, <clears throat> had three sons, and if you study in, in chapter 10, all of his descendants are named. He's got three sons, Shem, Ham, Japheth. Abram, he came in the line of Shem, but this is quite some time after the incident at the Tower of Babel, where God came down and confused the languages. Now, the, the key to the Bible is, um, if we can understand what God is after, then we understand better the works of the satanic kingdom. You see, Satan has been a very dedicated student about the plans of God, and his whole history is, has been bent on destroying the plans of God. 
So when God came and created Adam, his idea it is obvious that he wanted to extend his heavenly kingdom. So he comes down, he creates Adam and Eve, he tells them to multiply the earth, and he's happy about extending his heavenly kingdom on earth. And isn't isn't it interesting how Jesus taught us to pray? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. So, and he told them to multiply. Well, multiply means just extending his kingdom. Now, a few important points before we continue. In Genesis 1.22, he got, God told the animal kingdom to multiply. He actually spoke to the animals, told them to multiply. You'll find that in verse 22. Genesis 1.28, he tells Adam and Eve to multiply and fill the earth. Now, after Noah, uh, after the flood, God speaks to Noah in, in Genesis 8.17. Uh, well, actually, in 8.17, he speaks again to the animal kingdom. Uh, if you're taking notes, it'd be interesting to write that down and look at that. Now, um, and then in Genesis 8.20, I'd like to actually look at that for a moment because it's really interesting. Um, Genesis 8.20, the flood recedes. Um, and uh, Noah built an altar to the Lord. Now, this is after the, the water receded, and he built an altar to the Lord, and he took of every clean animal and of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. Well, you might be thinking, well, how can it be that he's offering these animals? How can those particular animals replenish um, the earth? But if you study Genesis chapter 7, um, verse uh, verses 2 to 3, he actually commanded some of these animals to, to come in sevens not just twos. And that's, um, that's very interesting there. So it's very possible that this altar was also on a mountain. Now, I'd like to say something that one of the reasons that I brought out the point a while ago that uh, Ezekiel 28 mentions the Garden of Eden in a mountain is because you see throughout scriptures, and even in many false religions, they like to have altars in mountains. And even the Jews, they learned, you know, that the mountains, well, that's where the gods are. Um, and so, in the minds of many of the, the ancient religious spiritual people, the mountains are where the gods are. Um, I think in verse 20, Noah actually built this altar on a mountain to the Lord before he came down. Um, as, as you've heard, uh, there's, there's a lot of reference that the actual ark has actually been found on the mountain uh, in Turkey at Ararat. Um, which to me explains why God commanded Noah to put pitch inside 
and outside of the ark. I don't think it was just to waterproof it. I think God had in mind uh, a preservation technique, uh, expecting that ark to be actually found someday. So that's worth thinking about. So in, in Genesis chapter 9, verse 1, when you, when you look there, the Edenic command, the command that God gave in Eden to replenish the earth, it, it's repeated again, and he tells it to Noah. One of the reasons I'm not going to be reading uh, too many scriptures is because I have so much information and I've got just 35 minutes left and I want to make sure I get my point across to you today, the main point. So now we come to um, Genesis chapter 10. If you study it, you will find that 70 family clans derived from Noah. And in verse 1, he has uh, three sons. And as a matter of fact, let me turn there since I'm just about here. All right, I'll, I'll read this. Now, verse 1, Genesis 10, 1. Uh, These are the records of generations of Shem, Ham, and Jepheth, the son of Noah, and sons were born to them after the flood. Let me just move to 8, and eight to 10. Now, Cush became the father of Nimrod. He became a mighty one on the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore, it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. And the beginning of the kingdom was Babel and Erech and Akkad and Kalna in the land of Shinar. Now, I did a little study on what this meant, that Nimrod was called by the people in that day, uh, he is the mighty hunter before the Lord. It's not actually a positive statement that he was mighty because he was always in the presence, in the face of the Lord. But that word, before the Lord, means he put himself first and God second or further down. It's like if I'm standing in line to to buy hot dog and ice cream and someone is rude and they step in front of me, I say, hey, you you got in before me. Well, this is the idea. And um, Nimrod actually was mighty to the extent that the people and he himself became an evil dictator and he was considered, well possibly greater than Jehovah. We put him before the Lord. Um, So, um, verse 25, I want to pick this out. Two sons were born to Eber. The name of one was Peleg. Now, we're getting to something interesting here. For in his days, the earth was divided, and his brother's name was Joktan. Joktan. Now, why did I bring this scripture out? Because Peleg was the father of Terah, and Terah was the father of Abram. So, my main point is what we have here at the Tower of Babel, Babel, 
there's no Gentiles. There's no Jews. They're just one world. And it's very important to capture that, um, that understanding. So now, when you study um, Genesis chapter 6, um, you will find that Noah was not corrupted by the sons of God when they came down. Uh, he, he, it, God said he, he was perfect and he found favor. You'll also see there that violence and wanting safety was really uh, an issue of the day. And look what's happening even in America today and, and across the world. It seems like the issue is not just just politics and a way of thinking. There's literal, tangible violence uh, that's an issue. Um, now, the ark, <laughs> I like to think of it this way. When God's wrath came and the, and the flood was released, the ark was above it all. Now, I know there's a lot of uh, discussions about it, but in my studying the Bible for 50 years, and my particular grasp to this point, I don't say I, I don't have a lot more to learn, but the ark was above the wrath of God. Now, some Christians say, well, the church is going to be here during the tribulation. Ah, because we're promised tribulation. I think a lot of people don't really understand what's going to be happening to the world in the book of Revelation. Um, Jesus promised tribulation, but you know what? Tribulation from men is different from the wrath of God coming at you. And so, even although the Great Tribulation is called the Great Tribulation, it's not uh, tribulation from men. It's, it's the tribulation which comes from heaven, from God. Angels uh, sounding trumpets and so forth. And um, you'll even find there that uh, um, uh, atheism will actually become obsolete. It's going to be so powerful. Uh, the, the, there's a time where the dimensions became really strange and the heavens uh, scroll back. And then the, the men, it's a, it says the rich, the, the elite, the, the slave, the free, all, they, they, they shout out and they, to, to the hills and the rocks, fall on us and kill us, and uh, they'll seek death, and the big interesting thing they say is, hide us from the presence of the Lamb who sits on the throne. You see, I believe when, when the, the, the purpose for scrolling back the heaven, the heavens, I believe that's the second heaven, God's going to scroll it back, and it's, it actually speaks of a separation of the sky. I, I believe they're going to see heaven, and they're literally going to see Jesus. They're going to see him, and that's why they say, hide us from the presence of the Lamb, because they saw him, and it was uh, more than just shocking to them. So, um, we have the 70 descendants of Noah that were 
that 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 um, spawned a, a clan, and they were all at the Tower of Babel. And you know the story. God came down, and He said, uh, "Well, I'm going to confuse the languages um, because." Anything these people imagine to do, it's going to be within their access uh, to be able to do it. Now, I'd like to say something about this. In Genesis chapter 6, it says specifically that the evil of humanity, it, says, it talks about the, their, all of their imaginations of evil, not doing good and right for society, but evil. Now, I think God came down because all of their imaginations were evil. So what I believe it means is that anything evil that the group at Babel decided to accomplish, that evil would be within their grasp. It doesn't mean that they had uh, the ability to accomplish any possibility, but any possible evil, they could do it. Uh, that's the way I, I uh, think about that scripture. So now there were 70 nations, and this is where the, we get the expression, I think it comes from the Jews, it's called the table of nations. Now in the earth today, I think we have uh, surely over 200 countries, maybe around 232, something like that. But um, there's still this expression that the world is called uh, the table of nations. Um, so why do people build such towers? Well, it could be that at the Tower of Babel, you know, uh, Genesis chapter 6, there was that experience of the angels coming down. It could be that they uh, wanted more angels to come down and communicate. They wanted to communicate with, with the gods. I want to say something about these people. Um, ye <laughs> Modern day people might think, oh, well, they, they, these people, you know, they're just ancient thinkers. They're a little stupid. And But let me tell you something. People back then, they lived a lot longer than we, we do. Uh, you know, we spend about 20 years educating ourselves, 20 years, next 20 years being productive, last 20 years deteriorating. These ancient people, they were able to live three, four generations. So can you imagine the accumulation of knowledge um, as they moved on? So the number 70 is really interesting. Ham had 30 nations. Shem, uh, 26 nations from him. And Japheth had 14 nations. A few things interesting about the number 70 You'll find in Genesis chapter 46, verse 27, that when there was a great famine in the world, uh, Joseph was uh, one of the top leaders of Egypt, and he had saved up a lot of grain and, and food and was ready for this famine. Uh, you remember he interpreted um, Pharaoh's dream and was prepared for it. it Seventy uh, families came from... Um, 
from Israel. They came of the loins of Jacob. Seventy entered Egypt at that time. Um, at, in Exodus 24, at the mountain when Moses was there, you remember there were 70 elders that were called forth. In Jeremiah chapter 25, verses 11 to 20, uh, 11 to 12, Jeremiah prophesied that there would be 70 years of exile of the Israelites to Babylon. Uh, Daniel chapter 9, verse 20, Gabriel prophesies to Daniel about uh, the 70 weeks that are determined for the um, nation of Israel. Another interesting thing in Luke chapter 10, uh, which is actually on point with my, what I'm trying to bring out today, is that Jesus sends out 70 disciples. Now, you remember there was a short time where he had more than 12 disciples. There were 70 that joined, and he sent those 70 out. Now, I'd like to just give you a, a, a little preview of what I have in my mind here, was that there were 70 nations represented at Babel. So, when God confused the language, it it's, seems clear or at least clearly implied that 70 languages, um, God created 70 languages there, and because of the confusion of the language, uh, they couldn't continue to build. Uh, I'd like to say something. Artificial intelligence. Um, you know, people are really concerned about a chip in the brain and then, oh, how bad it's going to be, and computers are our demise and all that. Well, I, I won't say there can be a lot of evil to it, I, surely, but think about it. Throughout all history, without digital computers, Satan has done quite a good job in his mind without the need of artificial intelligence. The way he's done it is through the power of language, the power of words. You see, Satan wants to control, control language. Once he controls language, language are images that are expressed. And so we use a language to... Um, hopefully uh, cause an image to come in the listener's mind. And that's how it works. So um, Satan is after changing our, our minds. So now Jesus sends out 70 disciples in, in um, Luke chapter 10. I think it's a picture of Jesus going after the Gentiles, or, or should I say, the nations that were divorced in Genesis 11. You see, a, a way of looking at Genesis 11 is <laughs> God was disappointed with Adam and Eve. Um, Noah comes along. Genesis 11, there's another rebellion, and God is disgusted with humanity again. And he just goes, oh, gee, what am I... <laughs> What am I going to do here? And so he confuses the language, and it's like a Romans 1, 
one event. It says, okay, Nimrod, you want to follow Nimrod? You want him and all your gods? And, uh, you know, the Tower of Babel, if you study it, it was built um, in, in, with astrological concepts in mind. And um, anyway, according to the Zodiac and so forth. So, God says, you want your gods? All right, I'll divorce you. I'll give you over to your gods. And so now God comes up with another plan, and some years later you see this little man. I don't, I'm going to say he's small, but this one man, Abram, comes walking along, and he's older. His wife is old. She can't conceive. And he goes, good. I will start all over again with Abram. So, um, what we have is eight, uh, Satan attacked the seed of Adam, then he attacked the seed of Noah, then more specifically, Abram came along, Satan wanted to destroy his seed, and if you study history about that, it's, it's just amazing how sometimes just one family member was spared to protect the line of the seed for the Messiah to come. Then David comes along, and so um, Satan tries to destroy the seed of David. So now we understand better why Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. Well, because Satan has tried throughout history to destroy the seed of this Messiah that would uh, bruise his head. And um, so Jesus was the final seed. So after he uh, died resurrected, ascended to heaven, guess what? There's no more seed to bring a Messiah. It's finished. So you and I are the seed of Jesus, and there's no more need for another Messiah to come. That's what means it's finished, and Satan just really lost right there. And the Bible even says that if the evil kingdom understood what they were doing at the cross, uh, they never, never would have... Uh, Never, never would have killed him. So, this happens at uh, Babylon, this, this Tower of Babel. And um, I would like to just put in your minds that if you really think of what happened at Babel, it was the fountain, at that time, it was the fountain of all idolatry in the world. Um... <sighs> I know there's a lot of discussion about Babylon being moved to Rome and all that. Uh, and in uh, in Peter, you know, Peter says in a verse in his writings, he says, from the church of Babylon, the, the, the saints in the church of Babylon salute you. And so people say, well, he was in Rome at the time, so Babylon was moved to Rome and, and all of that. But, but here's my thinking, if, if I can just share this. When you see the martyrs and the saints in heaven, when they rejoice that Babylon is finally destroyed, they say, 
our blood is finally avenged. And there's a rejoicing among those martyrs. You see, I believe that everything is going to go right back to Shinar. I believe we're going to see something happen in Iraq where the original... Um, uh, the original fountain of idolatry, it's going to be uh, come up again. Uh, okay, let me just interject this. In 1972, I got saved. Not long after that, I saw a, a, a world war. When the war of Iraq came and I saw it on TV, I saw the exact images of what I saw back in 1972 or 73, I can't remember exactly, and I was shocked. And I also had a, an, uh, an angel uh, visit me in, in a dream, and he spoke to me some things about Iraq. Uh, I, I don't want to get into that. But I will say that um, how can you seek vengeance on Rome when your blood was spilt by the Babylonians from Babylon. It, 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 it doesn't quite meet with my logic. Now, I will say this. There's two things to consider. One is the literal Babylon of Shinar. And then in Revelation 7.18, what do we have there? Well, we have mystery Babylon. Now, Saddam Hussein... Uh, his palace was not far from the Tower of Babel, and I know that I'm one of the rare people to think this, but it's because of the visitation of the angel and the dreams and things that I wrote on my calendar that for, oh, about seven months, I, I don't know how long exactly it was, but the, the dream was so amazingly accurate with mathematical calculations that the angel gave me. Um, I believe that uh, Saddam Hussein was stopped because it was not time for the rebuilding and the re er, resurgence of this, this fountain of idolatry in the world. I'll actually give you a scripture to make you uh, look at that. Okay, so we see the great whore she rides the beast with seven heads, ten horns in Revelation. She's the mother of harlots and abomination. Uh, she's drunk with the blood of the saints. Um, the Babylon, the great city, the kings of the earth are there, the merchants of the earth, uh, those that trade by the sea. Um, you know what's interesting? If you drink Starbucks coffee, you'll see that little green goddess on there. Um, she's, they actually call her siren and she's a mystical sea goddess just in case you didn't know that uh i do want to read a very interest it's more than interesting <laughs> but let me go to zechariah chapter five and i think this is the reference to the mystery the the whore okay um zechariah chapter five um the prophet see something and there's an angel with Zechariah and he's speaking with this angel and he asks in verse 6 what is it the angel said this is the ephah going forth 
One more time, I'm in Zechariah chapter 5, verse 6. This is their appearance in all the land. Behold, a lead cover was lifted up, and this is the woman sitting inside the ephah. Verse 8, then he said, this is wickedness. And he threw her down into the middle of the ephah and cast the lead weight on its opening. Then I lifted up my eyes and looked, and there two women were coming out with the wind in their wings. They had wings like the wings of a stork. I'd just like to interject that a stork is an unclean uh, bird in the eyes of uh, Israelites. They lifted up the ephah between the earth and the heavens. I said to the angel who was speaking with me, where are they taking the ephah? Then he said to me, to build a temple for her in the land of Shinar. And when it is prepared, she will be set there on her own pedestal. So I believe this is speaking of the great whore in Revelation. You might not agree with me, um, those of you that are listening, but I'll tell you that's definitely worth chewing on. And I think everything will migrate back to Babylon Shinar in the last days. I, I think it's going to become a power center. So you just keep your eyes on on Iraq. All right, let's try to um, uh, get to my last 10 minutes and come to my point here. Um, all right, let's go to Psalm 82, because here we see another very interesting rebellion. Now, I don't have time to read it all because I only have 10 minutes left, but I'll read the beginning of it, first few verses. God stands in his own congregation. He judges in the midst of the rulers. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? And as you go on, you'll see that God is not happy with this congregation. Now, the way I understand this scripture it's actually a divine council that's a heavenly divine council. People would argue that, well, no, these are judges of Israel. But I've looked at that, and, and here's my problem with the, the this congregation being judges of Israel. Um, and, and number one, in verse six, it says, I said, you are God's. And all of you are sons of the Most High God. Uh, you know, the only person that I can think of that was a human on the earth, where God even comes close to calling a, a, a human a God, he didn't call Moses a God, but he said to Moses, he said, um, you know, Moses, you're going to be so powerful that uh, you will be as a God to the people. But he didn't call him God. And in verse 7, he says, Nevertheless, you will die like mere men and fall like any one of the princes. In other words, you're going to fall like some of the other rebellious angels fell. And verse 8 to me is a key because Asaph says here, he, he finishes this whole context. He says, Arise, O God, judge the earth, for it is thou who possess all the nations. 
Now, when we study the Bible, we find out that Israel is supposed to be a light to all the nations. And um, the thing is, we Gentiles, actually, we're doing what Israel should be doing. We're evangelizing the world, and we're being the light to the world. So, this verse 8 here is showing, God, please go back and get those, get the other nations that were divorced in Genesis chapter 11. You've got Israel. Go after those nations now. Now, you see, when you, you start thinking like this, you begin to understand why Satan took Jesus to a high place to show him the kingdoms of the world. You know, in Matthew 4, Luke 4, Jesus fasted 40 days, Satan came to attempt him. Why did Satan take Jesus to a high place? Well, here's what I think. Satan knew that God divorced the world in Genesis chapter 11, and he chose Israel. And so he said, well, I can't get this uh, Jesus to, to not believe that he's, uh, you know, the, the Messiah to Israel. So, okay, you've got Israel, Jesus, but look, look, I brought you to high place. Now, look, you see all these other kingdoms? All you have is Israel. But all these others, look, I can really give this to you if you just worship me. So he was trying to entice Jesus with being more than the Messiah of only Israel. At least that's what he had uh, in his mind. Now, in Luke chapter 4, um, I really don't have time, but I, I, I'll just uh, say that he quotes Isaiah chapter 61. Remember, he's in the synagogue. And if you just study verses like 13 to 30, Jesus is in the synagogue and he's quoting Isaiah. Um, and uh, he stops. Isaiah 61 he's quoting. But he stops at verse 19. In verse 19, where he talks about the favorable of year of the Lord. Uh, I'm going to give you an idea why I think he stops. Um, if you keep studying verses 26 to 27, Jesus is, continues to rebuke some of the listeners, and he, he says the only uh, one that was really favorable uh, that received a miracle from the Lord at that time, there was a widow who was a Gentile, and then there was Naaman, who was the leper. He was a Gentile. And look what he does. He gets healed by the prophet, and he dips in the river uh, seven times, and before he leaves, he says, you know, look, I, I work for a king that worships another god, but I, I'm a true believer now. Can you give me some dirt? Now, why did he ask for dirt? There was something that this Naaman that was healed, he wanted to take some dirt and possibly build an altar, uh, either secretly in his house or in his backyard, so that he could sacrifice to the true God, because he understood that Israel had um, an inheritance. So now, um, 
he stops. Why did Jesus stop? Well, let me just go to Isaiah 61 and let me read something to you here. Brother Elias, if you need some more time, you got it. Uh, I'm on your schedule, but okay. we have extra if you need it. No. I, I, think I'll, I think I'll be able to do it. All right. Here it is. Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives, and freedom to prisoners. This is kind of like Jesus reading his resume. Um, verse 2, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. But you see, Jesus stopped in Luke. He stopped to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. That's where he stopped and he closed the book. Why didn't he continue to read, and the day of vengeance of our God? Well, I'm going to take you to Psalm 2 and give you the answer to that, I believe, my friends. Now, looking at Psalm 2, uh, I've looked at this for years, and you know, my impression is it's almost like the Trinity speaking to themselves. But the what I want to bring out is where the Father seems to be clearly speaking to his son Jesus. Let, let me go, let's go to verse seven, Psalm two, verse seven. I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, "Thou art my son." So now. Right here, this seems like Jesus is speaking to the Father. He said to me, Thou art my son. Today I have begotten thee. Now look at verse 8. Ask of me, this is the Father speaking to his son. Ask of me and I will surely give the nations as thine inheritance and the very ends of the earth as thy possession. Well, God, after Genesis 11, sure, he, he formed and created the nation Israel, but he's saying, you know, Jesus, the divorce that I had in Genesis 11 with humanity Sure, I have Israel, but I want to go back after them. Let's go back after them, Jesus. Ask of me, and I'll give them to you. So you know why I'm saved, why you're saved as a Christian? It's because Jesus asked the Father for all the Gentile nations. So why did Jesus stop reading and he didn't read the day of vengeance of our God because the day of vengeance is God's final judgment on the Gentiles for hating Israel and being against Israel. So Jesus stopped because he's supposed to inherit the nations. You cannot inherit nations if you annihilate them first. So Acts chapter 2, as I'm closing here, it's an act 
of redeeming Genesis 11. There was a fragmentation of the nations back then, but God in Acts chapter 2, he's reversing the fragmentation of the nations. Now, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 to 10, it says that we are now all believers. We're actually one nation. And Peter says, we are the people of God. Well, there will be a millennium. There's going to be another one world government. It's going to be the true one world government, and we will rule and reign with Jesus. So it might not look good for Christians for a while, but we will be back. They want to replace us, but eventually with Jesus we will replace them. So, Acts chapter 2, what could this mean? Well, they were speaking in tongues. It was the first act, and it was a sign of the beginning of Psalm 2. It was the beginning of Jesus beginning to inherit the nations of the earth. That's what it means. So every time you speak in tongues, it's a sign of Jesus inheriting the nations. And uh, that's my point for today. And that's why I appreciate what God did in Acts chapter 2. I'm so grateful that it, it includes Jesus inheriting the nations. Brother Shannon, I think I got my point across, and God bless you. Man, what a great teaching today. We're excited Thank to hear you, with sir. Brother Elias Antonis. Brother Elias, what shall we title this for the archive? Um, I would say uh, a foundation for the gift of tongues a foundation for the gift of tongues i love it yeah. my friend yeah um we got to have you back and uh continue the teaching uh so look at your schedule okay. and let me know what you got uh i've got plenty of this time available uh brother elias before okay. we close today give out your contact information that you'd like to give out uh, anything you'd like to mention about your ministry um well uh You'll find on the internet, there's a ministry, it's called Mana Christian Missions Incorporated. It's in Bonita Springs. Um, there'll be some information there and how you can email and ask for me. Uh, the accountant there will gladly um, give me the message, and uh, I, I pretty much always get it and respond. So my office is there in Bonita Springs. Um, at the present time, uh, most of my ministry has been worldwide to um, Chinese-speaking people. And uh, I will tell you that Asian people are whew, approaching 65% of the world. And uh, that's another subject, but they are really hungry and sometimes I wish uh, our Western society had some of their hunger. But they're very dedicated and they don't mess around. So a lot, that, that's what I'm doing mostly at the time. Well, they certainly, But I'm glad to be here with you today, glad. I tell you, and certainly in parts of Asia, there is a real cost to being a Christian. Um, yes, sir. 
they take it very seriously, do, do they not? Yes, sir. Yes, they do. They value their freedom. They they know that freedom is not just easy on the platter. Brother Elias, before we close, has God showed you anything with regards to uh, where we're going here in America? I mean, I've never seen more crazy times. We've got the month of uh, gay pride. I know God hates yeah. pride, and he resists the pride and gives grace to the humble. Uh, yes. It just seems about every part of society has fallen apart at the seams. Is this just part of the, um, the end times? Well, you know what? Yeah, you know what, Brother Shannon? I, I, I've got... This is... Uh, I've been seeking the Lord about it. I, you know, I've had some some dreams years before riots started breaking, breaking out. I've seen that. I've seen gangs overtaking streets in New York. Uh, some of that starting to happen. And... Um, some other dreams and my issue for myself is I'm asking the Lord there's there's um, two things that bother me one is in in Thessalonians where God is it's almost like <laughs> we're talking about Tower of Babel again but Babel. He he he's 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 so disgusted with the world that he sends a spirit of delusion he says okay you hate loving the truth i'm going to send you a strong delusion it's going to be almost impossible for you to turn around um that's in thessalonians and then in romans chapter one there's a point uh, and it talks a lot about sexual immorality he says okay you want to keep doing it i'm gonna give you over and that's those two things are in my mind whether we have entered into the Lord declaring okay I give you over uh, the so times great. of delusion they're here because if those points are here then I'm going to be praying on how to survive and endure rather than overtaking the darkness that's coming uh that's my issue. I do know that in Isaiah chapter uh, 60, uh, it says, Arise, shine, your light has come. And that's a prophecy of Israel recognizing Jesus as the Messiah. But it says in verse 2, a great two kinds of darkness in all the earth, a darkness in the people and a darkness in the earth. So it's a final complete infiltration of demonic activity in the human race so I'm wondering if God's going to send us some relief of a window of grace before the great darkness or is this the time so I'm not really answering you because I'm still in a quandary about it I hear you. but I'll tell you my meter my meter is leaning on the darkness is this just might be it but um, I have this real strong hope that we'll face tribulation of men but we're not going to face the tribulation of God that's, that's my take you know certainly as people have pushed God out 
Something's got to fill the vacuum, and Satan is more than willing to move on in. You don't want God in the classrooms? Okay, now you've got uh, transhumanism over there, or, you know, transsexual. Yes. Reading children's yes. stories. I mean, it's sick. Yes. You know. Yes. But uh, what is encouraging to me is there's still a great harvest field out there. I know you know this well. And yes, so sir. You keep uh, doing Mark 16. Preaching the gospel, signs will follow them that believe, and uh, you know yeah. I'm for voting. I'm from doing what we can to speak out, but at the end of the day, I don't know if there's anything greater we can do to hurt the enemy <laughs> than to snatch souls out of his hand by preaching the gospel and casting that devil. So, um, well, yeah, that, that, that's right. That's what we talked about today. Jesus inheriting the nations, and you know, like. When we have like a people call it an altar call for salvation in a church service, you know, I believe there's a specific time when the fullness of the Gentiles is in, and that last Gentile is saved. I, you almost feel like telling people, "Hey, you you might as well get saved today, because if if you're the last one to get saved, you're holding us back. Whoa, so get with right. it." <laughs> hey, that's the truth, <laughs> my friend. We love and appreciate you. Thank you for coming on. God bless you, and Thank get me another day. It would be an honor to have you back soon, my friend. Thank you. Blessings Thank you, to you. Bye-bye bye now. Bye-bye. That's Brother Elias and Tonus. Did you enjoy that? Uh, we did start early today because I wanted to um, get that program done with Brother Elias. So um, as needed, we can modify our schedule. Um, as some of you know, we did a program last night. 11 p.m. Eastern with uh, Bart Sabrell. Bart and I live in the same uh, part of the world, same time zone, not in the same country. So um, we decided to do one in the daytime for both of us. and um, It was a great show on the Moon Man. Uh, it's already up in the archive. And then, of course, uh, if we need to do an early bird show, we will. Now our regular scheduled programs begin. Uh, we're live Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. Eastern, and we'll go as late as we need to. We went uh, late yesterday, almost to, what, almost 4, 4 p.m.? Well, in between all that, I uh, got a little shut-eye. It wasn't much, but I'm feeling pretty good right now, actually. I even got a 30-minute nap before I started here. I was feeling a little bit tired. Um, but it's all good. Now, we've got some great programs for you tonight. Again, that was Brother Elias and Tonus. Coming up at 11, we're going to have Deborah Vells. At 12, we're going to welcome back Carl Henderson. It's been a while. And then we're going to have first-time guest. I've been wanting to get him on probably since 2010. It's going to happen tonight. Bill Keller. Uh, we're going to have him uh, tell his story, and it's an amazing story. Liveprayer.com is his website. Tomorrow, we're going to have Michael Cummins at 10 a.m., John Gogan, Joseph Ferrara, and for the first time, Tom Dunn. Tom is picking up the torch uh, of Russ Dizdar. He worked with Rust extensively. He's continuing the work. We're going to be honored to have him on tomorrow. And then Thursday, Gary Stafford, I think with a guest, John Terrell, Earthquake Kelly, I'm trying to confirm. Friday, Dana Coverstone will be back with us. Daniel Daves, Tom Mack. Uh, once a month, 
we'll have Brother Baird join us. He's still recovering from cataract surgery, and he, his eyes are getting better. But I think right now all he can handle is about one time a month. But uh, he's welcome to join Mac, Tom Mack um, every week if he'd like to when he gets up to speed. So have, we have some great stuff for you this week. Uh, basically, that is our schedule, and maybe some more shows thrown in there. Um, I'm going to take just a quick break to reset MixLR. Stand by for that, and uh, you may need to hit uh, reset on your computer. Stand by. 